Hello and welcome to Story of the Book, where middle grade YA and picture book authors tell the stories of their books from beginning to end. I'm Hayley Chewins, I write books about magical girls with secrets. And I'm Lindsay Eager, I write books about growing up in this weird, wondrous world. And we're so very happy to have you here. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Story of the Book. We're so excited to bring you a very special episode. Today, we are talking to my editor at Candlewick, Kaylin Adair, who's one of my very favorite people and also has worked on all of my books with me. We're going to talk today about the story of a book. We're going to talk about Hour of the Bees, but we're going to talk about it from the other side of the desk, from the editorial standpoint. It's going to be great. It's going to be super eye-opening. Um, I'm really excited for this conversation. Hello, Kaylin. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. This is my first podcast, so I'm honored. Yay! Congratulations, and I'm going to move this mic a little closer <laughs> to you. Apparently, I'm a quiet talker. That's so. okay. That's okay. Um, well, let's start with. So, we're going to talk today about sort of your side of the desk. I'm going to use that metaphor like five more I love times because it. it's so evocative. Um, we're going to talk about the acquisition process, basically how a book gets made from the very moment that you get the pitch to publication from kind of your perspective as the editor at a publisher. So I would love for you to, let's go back in time. It's 2014. Mm. Hour of the Bees is going out on submission and it comes into your inbox because that is how, um, that is how it came to you through, I guess, like slush pile. Do you guys call it the slush pile? We there? have a slush pile. Yes. It's not how agented submissions come in. So it's technically anything that doesn't have an agent attached to it goes in the slush pile. Right. Cause Candlewick still does unagented submissions. Well, we're technically closed to unagented submissions, but that doesn't mean we don't receive them still. So, oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So so the agented slush pilot is technically. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I'm just trying to reiterate. I did not have like um, connections or networking, nope. anything. Sort of. Yeah. The standard, the, the standard there, just, just for people who maybe sometimes think that um, publishing requires this sort of network. Right. I came to you through an agented submission. Yeah. And the story for Hour of the Bees of how that specifically um, got to me is particularly interesting because it came, so your agent at the time, Sarah Davis submitted it to Liz Bicknell, who was my boss at the time. And Liz wasn't acquiring novels, I don't think. And so she sent it to Kate Fletcher, thinking it sounded like something Kate might enjoy, but Kate at the time wasn't working on middle grade. And then Kate was like, oh, I know Kaylin is really into middle grade. I'll see if she, so it was a very circuitous path to me. Did I know this? I remember shocking you with this once before. <laughs> so well, you, will you shock me with it again? Absolutely. Yes. Every, okay. every couple of years, well, maybe we can replay this episode. Even. Oh, great. Um, so remember. it saves me the talking, but um, so yeah, so it came to me and this is a very Candlewick thing too. So I think, you know, we're very good at trying to sort of do matchmaking within our mm. department. So if we get something that sounds really interesting, but we're not personally connected to it, or we feel like we can't take it on for some reason, we're really good about like, oh, you know what, who this might really hit they like, we'll try this other person and say like, Hey, here's the pitch. Does this sound like something you want to take a look at? So we really do a lot of like sharing things around in the department. So is that, sorry, pause sure. to ask a question. Is that, how do you get to know what everybody is looking for? Yeah. I know you have like some colleagues that you're closer with and like friends with at this Absolutely. point. Um, is that just like, or is that like encouraged? Like 
get to know every editor so you know what they're working on and what they like. So yeah, sort of caveat to everything I'm about to say, I've worked almost my entire career at Candlewick. So everything I'm going to say is pretty much like how we do it at Candlewick. Um, I did like one year out of college at some, you know, another publisher. Um, Oh, this was the origami. The origami. Yes. So I worked um, for Tuttle Publishing when I graduated college and that was, um, but so, so most of what I know is about how Candlewick does it. So I can't say if this is like industry typical. Right. But that said, um, so there's a number of ways that we kind of learn our colleagues' tastes. Um, one of them is we, back in the day when people used to come into the office <laughs> physically in, the, in, in person, the before times. In the before times, um, agents would sometimes, you know, make a trip to the office. And we're also in Boston. We're not in New York where mm-hmm. there's like a lot of lunches and things that, you know, happen. So usually an agent will sort of make a point of saying, I'm going to be in town. Mm-hmm. Can I meet with some editors? And so we'll go into a conference room, a bunch of editors who are available that day to meet. And we'll go around and just like tell the agent the kinds of things we're interested in and looking for. And so it's just being in those meetings with my colleagues, I'm hearing, you know, updates on their tastes and what they're looking for. And like, oh, I've been getting a lot of this kind of thing lately. So even though I like it, I'm actually looking for more of, you know, this thing. And so it's just okay. from being a participant in those meetings. So that's learn. like a very formal thing. Yes. That so that's the more formal oh, okay. version of it. And we do sometimes create like a a document some agents will ask like do you have like you know manuscript wish lists and you know hashtag MSWL. <laughs> yes, I have a whole side rant about the manuscript wish list but anyway yeah. um so it's you know through that and then just casual conversations with my colleagues and hearing like oh I'd love a you know rom-com or I'd love a mm. you know this kind of thing and it's like okay that's a little note I'll keep to myself so that if I get a submission I know you know who to sort of match make it with um yeah. But that said, you know, it is really the agent's job is to know that information. So Mm -hmm. we do help and facilitate, but the ideal situation is for an agent to target a submission to the right editor. And that's by having those meetings, asking those questions, doing the lunches if you're in New York or Mm -hmm. just like hopping on the phone or on Zoom and asking someone, you know, what are you looking for? What are your tastes? Um, Seeing what you've signed up, the sort of deal announcements and things are a way to know um, this editor might be right for this book that I'm working on. Um, So there's so many editors. So is it sort of natural that some agents just develop kind of close working relationships with certain editors? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the way that any sort of human connection works, you know, you sort of have, yeah, you gravitate toward people. Um, I think especially once you learn that someone's tastes are very similar to yours, um, Mm -hmm. then it's like, oh, like, yes, this person, like we, we share this taste. Um, And so I think if this is something I'm super excited about, the odds are this editor who shares my taste might also be really excited about it. So, okay. That makes sense. So yeah. So hour of the bees did come to me. It's sort of like third hand, I suppose. Um, but ended up being like the perfect match. It was, you know, I think, um, I didn't know Sarah at that point. And so I don't think she would have known, you know, my tastes, um, yet, but once I saw that, um, again, I can get into the sort of like how I reacted to it. Yes. Do I have one more question about the agent editor? thing, because this is another one of those things that I feel like writers maybe have an idea. Like when you talk about, um, being in New York and agents and editors are having lunches and, um, I guess these formal meetings occasionally too, where there's just like a round table of like, all right, who's interested in what and who's, if you have like an, an agent who's trying to court a new editor or like get to know a new editor, or maybe, um, like, what's that like to, to have an agent who's trying to get to know you for the first time, or maybe they're submitting you to you for the first time. Do they just like show up in your inbox? Yeah, like, absolutely. hi, I'm an agent. You don't know me, but like, I have something for you. Yeah. And people used to um, do sort of cold phone calls. Um, and I think that oh <laughs> maybe like a generational difference, you know, we're getting yeah. fewer of those with like younger agents. Um, and yeah, it's really, I think, 
think um, in New York, it is more common to kind of get yeah, meet in person because people live in more, you know, close proximity to each other. So that makes sense. And you can also, I think as an agent visit multiple houses in the same right, day. Right. Um, so, so it's Candlewick, it's sort of a specific kind of trip, you know, you're in the, you're in the Boston area yeah. um, for a specific reason, but um, yeah, we'll get emails from, you know, hi, I'm a new agent. I'm just starting out. Um, I've seen some of your acquisitions. I think you might be a good, you know, fit for this project I'm working on or things just, you know, Hey, I'm a new agent starting out. Um, I'd love to hop on the phone and just get to know like what you're looking for. Um, so we do get some of those, um, yeah, just sort of new, new folks reaching out, trying to learn our tastes. How do you feel about that? Like what, what's that part of your job like? It's interesting. I, I love the idea of it very much. Um, and it feels very old school publishing. Yeah. Yeah. Like very Hemingway Steinbeck, yeah, like, like martini lunches. Martini, yes, yes exactly. yeah, yeah. I've heard, I've heard of these lunches. <laughs> I've never, I've never Sorry, seen them. Boston. It's fine. Yeah, um, but uh, I like the idea very much of connecting with people and establishing, yeah, relationships with agents. Yeah. Um, that said, just practically speaking, sort of going back to something we talked about a bit um, offline earlier. As we're busier and busier, it feels harder and harder to like carve out the time for that. Um, so unfortunately, probably my honest reaction now, when I get one of those emails is like, Oh shoot, like, when am I going to possibly do this? You know, like, I love the idea of this. When is that going to be the priority? Um, so that's, that's hard, which I definitely want to circle back around to that later, just about the workload of an editor, uh, because like surprise, it's maybe not what you think it is. This is so interesting. I'm just, I'm so absorbed in the conversation. I'm just soaking everything up. It's fascinating. Um, why don't you try to specifically remember if you can Cast my mind back. so long ago, um, what happened when you got the pitch for these yeah. in your inbox third hand yeah. passed from Liz to Kate to you, to me. I remember being very busy at the time, um, which doesn't actually sort of help me um, home in on like when that specifically was in my life, because I feel like, weren't you on maternity? So I remember back from I might have come back from maternity leave, not that um, long. I don't know how to put <laughs> grammar. <laughs> Let's we'll You're an editor. <laughs> <laughs> Words. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I had, um, I remember being very busy and then reading the pitch and being like, oh, shoot. Like, I think I'm going to want to read this one. And it's that really funny thing, you know, same what I talked about with getting those agent emails where like, I really want to do this yeah. and I like the idea of this, but like the time it will take to do this um, is, is a real challenge. And so similarly, like with submissions, there are definitely times where I'm like much, much busier yeah. and that submissions just feel like an impossible thing yeah. yet. You know, I love them. I love discovering new stories. I love getting lost in new stories and worlds. Um, so I, you know, when I read something that sounds like it's going to be really, really good, it's super exciting, but then it often comes hand in hand with like, oh shoot, like when am I going to ever, you know, have the I don't time. Have time to fall in exactly. love. I don't have right time now. to fall in love. Um, it's a really heartbreaking yeah. sentiment, but I think it's, a, you know, more and more of a common reaction, unfortunately. So I remember being in one of those sort of crunch times mm. and being like, no. And yet like, this sounds so good. I think I'm going to have to read this. life, everyone. You know what? And in fact, the memory is quite dim at this point, but I do think there might've already been some early interest when it finally hit me. Cause it had been, you know, a couple of weeks uh, probably. It had. <laughs> Sorry. I don't, I don't know how to say that without sounding. No, that's great. Like a jerk, but yeah, there had been, um, I think at that point, two offers with a third coming 
because there were four people total who who wanted me yeah. and who bid for my attention, including you. So yeah. yeah, I think there had been a couple offers already. So that adds additional pressure where, you know, like you yeah. don't have a lot of time now. So it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a real debate. I think sometimes with mm-hmm. yourself, like, is this something that I can justify, like taking time away from the other stuff that's under contract that I'm, you know, need to be working on. Yeah. Like my current authors that I've already. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and other assorted tasks, sure. that, you know, Which now, we'll talk about. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and editors. Um, so I remember the, the pressure of like, oh shoot, like I'm going, I, I need to read this. It sounds so right for me. And yet there's, you know, the yeah. time is ticking. Um, and I remember going out. St- so I started reading it yeah like right away. I'm a very slow reader, which is, um, can be really good when you get to like the line editing stage of things yes. where I'm like looking at every word very closely. Um, that said, it's not great for the submission stage of things where it's just like, I just need to like inhale Super this reading. and know whether, you know, it's right for me. It's right for Candlewick as quickly as possible. Um, but I remember reading bees and not being quite finished with it and going out to a fancy dinner with my husband for our anniversary and just telling him like, shoot, like, I think this book, like, I think it's, if I don't go for this book, I'm going to regret it. Like, it feels like yeah. one of those books that it's. I think I remember this, that you had, didn't, hadn't you chased after a manuscript before this and lost it to another house? Probably. That's a very familiar tale. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Cause then I think if I remember Mary Lee, your boss was like, why don't you go after this one? Or, or yeah, was that what it was? There it was might something be. Yeah, like I think actually Liz was still my boss. I'm trying to remember who was. I was. So yeah, I've sort of um yeah hopped around a little bit within the company, but I remember yeah, and I'm trying. I think I know now which one it might have been that I lost. Um, and so yeah, like coming off a loss too. You know, there is a sort yeah. of competitive element to um, especially when you know there's other interests and you're going to enter likely into an auction scenario. Mm-hmm. Um. There are some people, some editors who really enjoy that. I'm, like, like feel like yes. getting the like yes, type A exactly. Like, I'm not I'm one of those this. editors. Gotcha. Um, I gotcha. and sort of interesting note, perhaps, um, or devastating note, um, for your authors who might be listening. Um, knowing that there's other interest in a project yeah. can sometimes disincentivize an editor from, you know, so it's like yeah. if there's not other interest, I have time to sort of, yes. you know, and like you know, in terms of the the monetary investment, you yes. know, it's with one one element, one level, knowing there's other interest, mm-hmm. you know, it does change the dynamic quite a lot. And so sometimes it's just like, that's enough of a reason to feel like, you know what, we're probably not going to win anyway. The amount of work that would go mm-hmm. into like getting my colleagues to read it, to write a marketing plan, um, you know, chasing after whoever needs to sign off and approve can be enough. Not always, you right. know, if you love the project, you of course will go through all of that. But, you know, sometimes if, if you're looking for a reason you know, that can be enough of a reason. Um, No, that makes sense. Well, and knowing like, okay, if I pass on this, it sounds like this book is going to be published by someone else. So I, if I can let go of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I I will find a way to, you know, and sometimes you feel like this might actually be better somewhere else. Um, And so as much as I might want to take it on, like, is that, is that right for everyone? Um, That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't ever think about that being a de-incentivizer. Is that the right word? Editor. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward silence. Uh, but um, I think too, I'm sure that um, it's similar for agents too. Just thinking about how I think we sometimes like stereotype agents as being very like business and like, oh, I love getting in a big auction and competing and like trying to right. um, 
go get them. But um, yeah, it, it, it changes the stakes a little. Yes. And I, I've seen enough, you know, different scenarios with different agents. Like it is a very personal thing, like how agents handle auctions and other interest and um, you know, the type of auction or even how much information they're willing to give up front about yeah. like those sort of, you know, expectations around it. Um, it's, it varies greatly person to person. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, really interesting. but yeah, bees basically was, it came in and I was like, I am looking for a reason, you know, not to fall in love. And then despite, <laughs> despite my best efforts, she was searching, people. you got me, you got me. For a way so. to- delete. I think a lot of authors are very, we're very accustomed to the story of heartbreak and loss from the author's side. Like you send your manuscript out, you've worked on this baby for a long time, you love it, you poured your heart into it, and then it gets rejected. And, but I don't think a lot of authors have maybe considered the fact that on the editor's side, there's also, there can be loss and there can be heartbreak. You can lose out to a project. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess you, I mean, I know you can't go into specifics about that kind of thing, but what is that? I guess, could you say more about that? Like, what is that like? And how do you, do editors talk about their their losses and their heartbreaks in the same way that writers do? Yeah. Like, do you follow the book? Right. Yeah. And like see it published. Yeah. And, yeah, and how does it feel when it gets published and you see the cover or? I have talked to you there's been a couple times over the course of our, whatever this is, working <laughs> together, friendship, colleagueship, um, where there has been projects, I think, that you've quote unquote lost yeah. and been sad. Oh, to absolutely. See go yeah. Else. And it's hard. You know, I, I do, I do take a great deal of comfort when something, you know, sells elsewhere. Right. Like I do at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm, content I suppose if not happy to be a, a cheerleader like on the sidelines like yay like that book's out in the world that's great um that said there is a pain you know I see you know just the other day I was in a bookstore it's like oh right there's one I lost you know and like I think oh, it's doing wow. very well and that's wonderful and like maybe we wouldn't have been able to do it you know justice in the same way and so perhaps it's better for everyone but it is hard it is a little pang you know like oh yeah and like when you you know, we read so many submissions. Um, and then of course we are working on so many books when a story stays with you, you know, mm. after you've lost it, that's when, you know, it was, you know, something special. Um, so there are a few, but there mm. are ones where it's like, Oh, right. Yeah. That one's always there. You know, I'm going to carry that one for a long, long time. So yeah. those are hard. Um, but it is, it is nice to at least know that they've, you know, made it onto the shelves. Um, yeah. the ones that, you know, I don't always, I don't, actively follow, you know, things that I've, um, either lost or passed on, um, just because it would be impossible to keep up with. Sure. And so I don't always know the fate of something, especially if it hasn't sort of risen to a level where it's like, I don't have to seek it out. You know, yeah. sort of, <laughs> it comes yeah. to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there are, you know, countless projects where I don't know if they ever actually even, you know, made it onto the shelves yeah. and that's harder to think about, you know, mm. that's a, that's a different kind of sadness for sure. Yeah, that's, it's just so fascinating because I think, I mean, this this interview is, I mean, I knew it was going to be interesting, but it's really, really, really interesting. It's really fascinating to get the other, <laughs> to get the other point of view or the other side of the desk, as Lindsay said. Um, and yeah, because I do think, I think as a writer, when you, 
writing a manuscript and in your mostly in your pajamas with your hair sticking up and then you query and then you, you struggle to get an agent and then you go out on submission and you get rejections. I think that publishing can feel like this big monolithic scary institution, you know, which I guess in some ways it is, but yeah, it's, it's just so interesting because of course, everyone who works in publishing really cares about their jobs and you care, you care about the books that you, that you read and even the things that you reject. I'm sure it's, it's not that you don't care or that you, I don't know. It's just, I think that it's, it's so, um, it's so important for writers to get this perspective. That editors are not evil and they're not out to just. They're not scary and they're not. Yeah, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) But hopefully most of them. You have your days. Yes, absolutely. But no, it's interesting. I remember early on in my career, someone saying, you know, like a big part of our job is like crushing dreams. And that's what it feels like. You know, like there's this, this, yeah, like this, this, this weight to it, you know, that you're just, you just know someone has put so much time and heart and effort into something and your job is to crush it. And, you know, and like you, that's why it feels so much more gratifying to know something's gone somewhere else, even if it's like, oh, I would have loved for that to be with us. And, you know, our logo to be on the spine and stuff, but in the experience of, you know, working very deeply on the story with the author, but it's still much more satisfying to know that it is out in the world. And then those, those ones that you turn down and you just don't know, are they ever going to make it? Um, I find that very, very hard still, you know, all these years into it is still very sad to have to decline Mm. things. Well, to reduce the job of editors to something like crushing dreams is such a disservice to what you actually, yeah. Yeah. And why you're there. Yeah. Cause you are certainly not an editor for your million dollar contract. And you're (laughs) certainly not doing this so that you can be this super judicious, dream crusher, like you said, you're not Mm -hmm. doing this so that you can be Miss Trunchbull. You're doing this because you love books as much as writers do. Yeah. Mm. And it's one of the gifts of the job is then, you know, when you do sign something up and you get to work on it and you, you are, you know, helping to bring it into the world. And that's just the cool, like, it's such a cool job. Like you, you know, you look at a bookshelf and you're like, there's, there's that work, you know, those, those hours and years of your life and your author's life. Um, and there's something to show for it and how many people get to say that, you know, like all of their effort has like a tangible payoff. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It is really cool. We'll talk about, let's talk about like, so you read Hour of the Bees, you tell your husband like, oh, damn it. <laughs> I love this. I can't find a reason to say no. Yeah. You and I talk on the phone at right. some point. Um, and that's yes. awkward for an editor, by yeah. the way. Oh, yeah. How's that? Yeah, that's so uncomfortable. You know, it's like a, a blind date almost. And oh, you're yeah. trying to impress the person and ask, you know, intelligent sounding questions and then not scare them away with your editorial vision, but like also yes. let them know that you do have ideas because you don't want to catch them by surprise. Like after the contract has been signed, by the way, we want to change the whole like right. second half of your book. Um that said, you also like want to strike the balance where you don't give away too much of your editorial vision because if they sign with someone else, they can, you know, steal your ideas, steal your brilliant right. pearls. Um, so yeah, the, the phone call is awkward daunting. and is daunting. It, do you do it with most author, authors that you offer? It's, that's a great question. Um, no, actually. And I think it's, you know, more, it's more based on the preference of the author. So if like, an author mm. wants to have that conversation, I am absolutely willing to do it. Um, If an author is not interested, I am certainly not going to force an awkward phone call on them or myself. Which Um, I, for the record, wanted to talk to you. I I spoke to um, 
two of the editors who offered and you, and I think you swore in like the first 15 minutes, I think you dropped maybe the F-bomb or maybe not. And I was like, okay, good. This will work out. Yeah. 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 And that's, just, that's interesting too. So, um, I have no memory of that specific phone call or that specific F-bomb. I think you apologize. <laughs> Probably. It's been part of my French, something like, like that. But, but part of the job as the editor is to really get into the voice of the story, right? So like when you're writing mm-hmm. jacket copy, you're channeling the voice of the story. So it sounds like, you know, you're, you're preparing the reader for what the experience of reading the book will be. And so there is this really interesting thing where I have over email or over phone, like sort of different parts of my personality with different authors or agents, depending on the kinds of projects we work on together. So it's like, you're tapping into like the Lindsay eager. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been like a little bit (laughs) odd to like, acknowledge about myself like every author of yours knows a different side exactly that best corresponds with right exactly okay yeah that makes I mean that makes sense that sounds like a basic not just like a work relationship because you have different relationships with other colleagues of yours too I'm sure yeah and different facets of yourself are sort of on display yeah people but something that we mentioned kind of offline earlier was how the job of the editor is also sort of a caretaking job with your authors I mean you are the connection between your author and the publisher you're the the one who faces them and who is the go-between and you are expected from your publisher and probably from the author and the author's agent to sort of be uh, like a soother and an explainer and a a soft spot maybe not so soft for some for some editors but yeah you're expected to be the go-between yeah the the cushion there. Yeah. And part of that, I really enjoy, honestly, like I like, first of all, I could talk about like publishing all day, you know, like sure. new authors who were like, how does a book made? I'm like, okay, <laughs> where do we begin? Right. You know, um, I could talk about sort of process all day. I really enjoyed that. I enjoy um, sharing like my interest with someone who's also interested in it. That's just a super cool experience. Um, and you literally told me like this, the, um, dimensions for trim sizes yeah. off the top of your head. So, yeah. you know, the nuts and bolts of publishing some of it. Yeah. 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 Certain parts of it for sure. Um, and so, but yeah, like the human connection is something that I really love about the job too. So it doesn't always feel like it's a burden to be that, you know, play that sure, role. Sure. Uh, that said it, you know, it is certainly like emotionally draining. And especially when you have, you know, 25 active people with yeah. different personalities, different needs, um, their books doing, you know, better or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so different, just different experiences entirely with each of them. Um, it, yeah, it is a lot. And that's not even the editing work. That's right, just right, the, the author relationship. Absolutely. Nurturing yeah. part. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we have a phone call. We have a phone call. The offer is official. Apparently I swear. <laughs> and I swore too. Yeah, good, good. I think maybe you waited for me to swear first, but as Savvy. And, yeah, well, the reason I just bring that up is because I had had two other very lovely conversations with um, other editors who I, I on the phone with them felt very like I had to be on my best mm. behavior kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, and then speaking with you just felt instantly like more, um, casual and I felt more like myself and um obviously like your ideas were amazing and your offer was obviously (laughs) beautifully written and very complimentary um so you offered well I got the offer from my agent 
um, through email, you'd sent her like a wonderful offer, a wonderful, like, we want this book. Here's what we want to do. And here's the courtship, the courtship. Yes. The, the, (laughs) on the page compliments for Lindsay. Um, will you talk a little about something terrible? But will you talk a little bit about the acquisitions process? I know it's a little different at Candlewick yeah. than it is for other publishers. Maybe you could talk about what it is for other publishers sure. yeah. and then how Candlewick is a little different and then what you think about. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, sort of anecdotally, um, I know that this, I think the typical industry um, process for acquisitions is there is an actual acquisitions board. Mm-hmm. And they meet, you know, regularly, you know, I don't know exactly if it's a standard, you know, like once every two weeks, how it works, but it's in heads a dark room, <laughs> yes, right, in a dark room. And- um, so there's heads of various departments, like heads of sales, production, marketing, et cetera. And they're seeing the submissions that the editors are interested in, you know, or the potential acquisitions and weighing in on whether or not it makes sense for their publishing house to take these projects on. So an editor would be interested and then be like, I have to take this to acquisitions. Right. Exactly. That's the phrase, Right. oh, the editor's taking it to acquisitions. That's right. the magic phrase for a lot of writers to hear. Yes. And this is what- And for novels, about. it sounds like it's usually a sample. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think the expectation is that anyone will have read an entire novel, you know, in the week's time or whatever. Right. So it's a sample on perhaps a summary as well. Mm-hmm. I think also the editors are expected to do P&Ls, which are profit and loss- sheets, calculations. I'm not quite sure. Um, we just call them PLs. We don't do them at Candlewick as editors, but we can get more into that. Um, if it's interesting for anyone, but, um, you know, the, the idea there is you're running numbers to see, does it make financial sense for us to make an offer on this book? So like, what are those well, that's, <laughs> I have a whole rant. You heard it a bit about the PL where I feel like it's made up, frankly, mm-hmm. um, because I think it's, it's intended to give some sort of, you know, comfort and certainty, like, okay, yes, this does make sense for us to sign up. But if we knew how much something was going to sell, we would just sign up the books that we knew would sell well. Um, there's no formula for success. And I right. think some companies need to pretend there is, but um, mm. that could just be my Is that, but like, how, like, where do they even... So like, okay, my book, when we pitched it originally, Hour of the Bees was, we pitched it as the house on Mango Street meets Holes. Okay. Holes was a Newbery winner or yes, honor winner. or something. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of what you look at or like other middle grade like this that has sold recently and, and P&Ls are taking those numbers? Yes. Yeah, so it's usually a lot of comp titles. So okay. from your own list, because you have like access to a lot of data there oh, right. and then also from like, like other you know, publishers like just or just like what's out in the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think agents tend to, when they're, when they're pitching and, and referencing comp titles, they tend to, you know, sort of err on the side of popular, like you'll have sure. heard of this because yes. otherwise it's like, like a uh, niche little book, like it yes. doesn't yes. move the needle necessarily. That's why there's a thousand books pitched as six of crows. Comps yeah. Okay. Exactly. It, YA in yes. YA fantasy. Yeah. Because that's a good, easy go-to that has big numbers. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, you know, it, it's helpful um, to give, you know, some sense, but I think a publisher will often, you know, go to their own list and look at like, what else is this like on our list? How did we oh, do with okay. this type of book? You know, how, do, what's our success 
like with this type of story. So who looks up those books on the list and makes that call? That's a good question. I, I'm <laughs> not sure. Honestly, I don't really understand right, the, the nitty gritty of the acquisitions that. process elsewhere. Um, when we edit as it can. So, okay. So I suppose the distinction is, so there's this acquisition meeting yes. at many publishers. And they have this fake and, P&L sheet. Right. This fake P&L that sheet. Coming to be <laughs> so we, we yeah. decided this entirely useless. Um, and then, you know, heads of departments are weighing in on whether it makes sense to sign something up or not. Right. Based on the, pro- the the margins that they yes. anticipate this book could possibly give for the company. And and we've talked about this a little bit that um, maybe less at other publishers, definitely at Candlewick. There are some books that are ex- like um, not expected to, but like there's different kinds of books, right? Like there's books that are expected to have a larger margin and maybe like subsidize some of the other artsier books yeah. that you kind of know won't sell, but we want them on the list. Right. Yeah. There are multiple reasons to, to have a book on a list. One could be like, oh, this is probably going to win a lot of awards and that right. will sort of get us an you know, amount of prestige um, that will help our reputation that will bring in other books like that. No one will read it, but right, it right. will. Yeah. Exactly. Um, or like, oh, this is really commercial. You know, this will make us a lot of money and we need to make money so right. that we can make books. And all um, publishers need all yes, sorts. And to have a mix. Yeah. And so you know, I think there's all sorts of considerations that go into an acquisitions meeting. Um, and, but yeah, at the end of the day, it seems like it's more of a group decision, you know, mm-hmm. of sign off of whether or not to take something on. At Candlewick, we do not have this acquisitions meeting. So what would happen and what in fact did happen with your book, um, you know, I read it, I fall in love with it. I go to my direct supervisor and say, here's the book. I love it. Do you think I can make an offer? Um, and then usually it's yes. And then, um, we sort of decide like, let's look at other books on our list, um, and come up with, you know, what seems like a good offer right? and go from there. And so it's a much more, um, editorial driven decision at Candlewick. Um, the person in charge of our company, Karen Lott's the head of Walker book group. So it's, you know, Candlewick in the U S superwoman. She's amazing. She's also still an acquiring editor herself. And so I think the, you know, from the top down, the creative process is very, very valued and important um, and respected. And as much as I would love for that to be true elsewhere, you know, I do get the sense from other houses that the bottom line is really the deciding factor. often. Um, And we're not disregarding that. I don't want to pretend that we're, you know, a nonprofit and we don't pay any attention to that. It's obviously important for us to make money. That said, I think being creatively led and driven allows us to take on books that if you were trying to do, does this make sense in a PL? No. And then like, you know, so I think you get to just take more risks and um, follow your passion in a way that you don't necessarily get to elsewhere. So it feels like PL sheets in general are already based on books that are a specific type of successful anyway. So if you're like measuring a very artsy, non-commercial book in a, if you're plopping that into a PL sheet that is specifically designed to be for commercial books, you're always going to come up short. But if you have more flexibility as far as what you're trying to do with the books, like you were saying, different, there's different, um, measures for success for a book. Absolutely. At Candlewick. Yeah. It sounds like. Yeah. An example I always sort of go to, um, is, I don't know, you know, if the listeners are, it's been a few, few years at this point, but, um, Good Master Sweet Ladies, yes, um, yes. is a book that Laura Amy Schlitz, Laura Amy Schlitz, uh, very much when it was signed up, I think, you know, the expectation is probably mostly a school and library, um, audience. So it's, well, and you we know, can mention it's monologues, right? Middle ages, mm-hmm. monologues, Medieval children yes. monologues, yes. the weirdest, 
and possible. Thing. So, you know, there's no expectation. This is going to be a huge seller for us. Right. Um, so I think if, you know, any other company just doing like a P and L for that book, it's oh, like, yeah, no way. I don't know like, that we would justify yeah, taking the that on. For this. Yeah. We also invested in full color illustrations for this. So that's paying an artist, but also four color printing is yes. more expensive and reprints are more expensive. And so there's this upfront investment in this book that there aren't these huge sales expectations for, but it's like, we love this book and let's make it as beautiful as we can make it. Right. Um, and then it went on to win the new grade, which no one predicted. Right. You can't, you know, as much as we would love to, you know, be able to conclude can't like predict Newberry because if you could, we'd all be writing on yeah, and signing them up. But, um, you know, so I, I don't know that a lot of other publishers would have necessarily sure. done, you know, not only signed it up, but like invested in it the way we did. And, you know, look what happened. Um, I've heard so, her publishing story about that. There were a lot of publishers that were like, this is so niche. It's like, I've never seen anything this niche. This is so bizarre. No. Right. And sometimes you do that because, you know, like here's an author that we sort of would love to have on our list. And then we can kind of, maybe their first book or two is not going to be like the breakout book, but you know, we're investing in them and you know, okay. it will eventually pay off right. down the line. But I don't even know that necessarily like that's always how we're thinking. I think we, we sort of have the luxury of falling in love with a specific project and, yeah. and signing it up and giving it our all. So, but also, yeah, like supporting authors and, and knowing long-term they might be producing yeah. things in the future that are yeah. maybe a little less niche than, or just monologues. like giving them the freedom to, to write the books they want to write. You know, you're like, yeah. you're, we, um, I think it's even Sebastian Walker, the founder of Walker books that then in the U S is Candlewick, um, you know, would say we publish authors, not books. And it's, you know, we just mm. approach it that way. It's we're investing in the person and the creator. Um, and so I've got, you know, the more authors that I work with on like, you know, three, four books than I do just one-off relationships with folks. Um, it's much more common that I've worked, you know, on multiple books with the same creators mm -hmm. than I just do one and done. So, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. Any thoughts about P and L's from your <laughs> side, Haley? Can we stop saying P and L? It does sound I don't have any thoughts on P and L's to be oh. I don't. I'm just really, really fascinated by by this conversation. Um, do I have any questions about? I did want to ask about when Kaylin, when you first uh, started reading bees. I, this is kind of an impossible question, but what is it about a book that you? What is that magical thing about a book that makes you want to work on it? And like. I know it's probably difficult to put that into words, but like, was there something in bees? Was there a moment that, that kind of sold you on it or made you fall in love with it? So for me, and this is something I've talked to Lindsay about quite a lot. It's voice. It's, I am so mm. voice driven in what I would look for, which is why when I complained earlier about the manuscript wish list, it's so hard for me to tell an agent the kind of book that I'm interested in. I understand the, the need for that. Of course, you know, like I'm trying to help them help me and, you know, it saves everyone time if the right things come to me. That said, like to me, plot is so secondary. Genre even is so secondary um, that it is very hard to distill my tastes um, in any way, like helpful soundbite. So for B specifically, it was absolutely the first chapter. And I remember there was like a line about her using like her ponytail as a weapon or something. She's in the car with her dad. They're driving, listening to the radio. And she's like swatting at a bee with her pony. And just somehow the way it was described Lindsay has this amazing gift to take everyday 
experiences and describe them in a way that makes you pay attention and see them for the first time. And just being in her world, like reveling in her words. I love that experience. And it's, I do it every time with her books. I'm like reading a revision of another book of hers right now. And just like marveling at the language, just marveling at what she can do. It's such a gift. Um, and it's such an honor for me to get to live in her books with her the way that I do. Um, so I remember you. here's your 20. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I just remember, um, I want to know like where this is going. I want to live in this language. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, um, I don't often, I'm very spoiler averse and I don't often read like pitches beyond like, once I know I'm sort of hooked, Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to know what's going to happen. You know, I don't want to know what the, even like the main tension is going to be. I want to experience it almost, you know, the way like the reader would experience it where you have no idea necessarily, um, what you're in for, which you, you can't always do that with pitches. No, right? absolutely. You can't always do that. And even, you know, like we write jacket copy and the idea is to, and I was like, I don't want to read jacket copy. Like, I don't even want to write it. And, you know, I don't want jacket copy to exist. I just want to know, like, this is good. You should read it. You just want to, you just want to be able to like open a book or a manuscript and start reading and be like, and just yes, no. have no idea where it's going. I love that experience. Um, and so for Lindsay, I will go wherever she takes me. And we've worked on books with all sorts of interesting settings and yeah, well, and I was going to say, you are not a big fantasy reader, right? Generally, like just your yeah. personal tastes. And yet, I have dragged you into speculative plenty of times. And I love it. Um, because, like you're saying, it's not really about, and even thinking back to other books that have been on your list yeah. and other authors that you've worked with, you've worked on in all sorts of genres absolutely. and categories. Yeah. So it really does come down to voice for you, huh? It absolutely does. It's like, if I fall in love with a character, I will follow them pretty much anywhere. And that's mm-hmm. like, you know, in terms of their plot, but also like the setting and, you know, mm-hmm. historical or contemporary or sci-fi or fantasy. Mm-hmm. I do try to sort of, when I do these manuscript wish lists, you know, narrow it down, but it's, it feels yeah, limiting because it's like if bisexual I, vampire love stories. You never know. I, like, well, that's like, yeah. but the, I feel like those are the manuscripts. Yeah, exactly. They're so specific and and yeah. rigid. Um, and I just want to be surprised that like, oh, I wouldn't have thought I would be interested in this, but like, right. holy cow. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, mm. so that's what I enjoy so much about working with you too. Is like when something hits my desk and it's I a new no Lindsay, idea. I have no idea what I'm in for, and it's always wonderful. It really is the experience of just like where is this going? What is this world going to be like? Um, it's just, and I like, I have so much trust, you know, there's, yeah. you've never let me down. You've never let Aww. your readers down. I well, think there's still time. Yeah, that's true. I, um, I, I have to throw a real bomb on your desk one of these days. But yeah, it's just, it's just wonderful. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, it definitely, even from like the first chapter of bees, it's like, this is an author. I will follow wherever to the bottom of the sea, you know, to wherever yeah. she takes me. Um, so that was magical right there. So sorry, writers, there is nothing, uh, that you can do about what an editor is interested in, except just voicey. Well, for you, for me. Yeah. But, and, but and it, it sounds like that's what you're saying though, is like maybe editors don't know until they have it. And it might be a candle. Also, I feel like voice is one of those things that no one can really describe what it is. Oh. Like, you know, when you see it, when it's there, you can say, this is voicey, yes. but you can't teach someone to have a great voice. Yes. Like Lindsay just has it naturally. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, naturally, and also after years of craft, honing your craft, you have it, but you can't, yeah, you can't really like just say 10 steps to getting to having a voicey book. Yeah. Exactly. 
I mean, you can try, like I, I would encourage writers to try. I mean, you can learn that, but really, well, this has been something that's been really interesting for me to get to see, you know, because when bees came to me, obviously it had been, you know, worked on yes, a yep. lot. And so with future projects where I'm seeing much earlier stages of things <laughs> yeah, and I do sort of get to see the layers that you kind of turn on. It's like, okay, here's the like layer where I'm just trying to figure out like what's going to happen, the mechanics of the story. Yeah, what is and this? then I'm like, oh, okay, like I like the idea of this, but I don't feel like the linsiness of this. And then you're like, well, here's the revision and all the linsiness is here now. And it's yeah. just like this like beauty and language and description and it's like, but the plot is a mess again. Right, and then we, sure, yeah, yeah, sure. There, you know, yeah. But otherwise, it'd be out of a job. Exactly. <laughs> it's true, it was just true. perfect every time. <laughs> but like, just sort of getting to see, oh, you yeah. apply that later, and you know, I don't know how other writers do it and what their processes are. Um, but it was a really cool experience to get to see, like, oh, okay, like that's a thing that you can just sort of like, you know, turn on and yeah. and apply at a later step. Um, and that is definitely something that you and I have that I think is pretty unique as far as. I know talking to other writers that I know and their relationship with their editors in that you have seen my absolutely rawest work. You have seen, you've seen my, um, my submission with bees that was very polished. Um, my agent and I worked on revising that for a good six months before we sent it out to you for good reason. You know, when you're sending a manuscript or a, a submission, I think for the first time you want it to be as good as it can be so that editors don't have to look too hard for the potential. Right, it's, right. you know, it's right there. Um, but since then, oh yes, I have sent you like first draft level stuff because we have that trust now. Um, and I know that, you know, I can get it to the point where it needs to be. And I also know that you won't judge me for the rawness, or if you do, I'm like right there with you. Like, yeah, let's laugh at how, like, this is what it takes to make a book. Um, so that's unique between and that is you just, and I, yeah, and I mean, I'll say an honor probably a dozen times in this interview, but like such an honor to get to see that, you know, early draft where, you know, it's not right. your best work yet. Um, and yet you're willing, you know, to have me read it and give you feedback on it. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a, just a really extraordinary experience to be in like the trenches with you at such an early stage of a to project. my garbage. Yeah, but also... I don't know. It's just, it, you know, it's, it feels like a real partnership, you know, like yeah. we're in this together and it's just fun for me to like, I'm tagging along on this yeah. journey. Um, it's a really cool experience. Yeah. Um, and if everything came to me like very, very polished, I'm sure I'd still, you know, like help as much as I could, but sure. it's not like in it, in the thick of it, like with you in the same, I mean, I, I can feel my eyes like lighting up as I'm talking about it. Like it just, mm. it's so exciting to get to like be in the creative process with mm -hmm. an author that you trust. Um, yeah. Well, and, and my writing process certainly has changed knowing that I'll be sending things to you maybe at an earlier time than, um, I would, if I was a debut again, or, yeah. or even, um, sending new things to like my agent to potentially send out, you know, or whatever. Um, it definitely changes how I work on my end because it just means I know we're going to build something together. Like missing pieces it's not all 100 on me to like locate them and fix them we can talk about them together and like fill it in together and one of my favorite things about working with you is like we'll hop on the phone and just like brainstorm together yeah. and i work differently with different authors you know depending on what they need from me yeah. what they want from me um but i do find it extremely exciting to just like hop on the phone with you for two hours and just like yeah. brainstorm like what if this happened and like what if, and like 
my favorite, favorite thing is like, I sort of throw out some, you know, idea because we're just talking aloud. And that's the other thing. There's so much trust the other way too. Like you know yourself and you trust yourself enough that like, if I give you like a terrible idea, you're not like, well, she knows she's the editor. I guess I have to try to like make that work. Like you're like, okay, but that's not going to work. And so then I feel free to just like give you the terrible and just like think aloud in a way that's really freeing and um, just creatively exciting. But my favorite experience is being on the phone with you tossing out some sort of like half-baked idea and then you being like okay and then you're sort of thinking about like why I said it and then you like latch on to something and you like find your own solution that's so much better than I could talking to myself while you're on the phone yeah I love that like talk to yourself through me that's great like that's what I'm here for is like to help you find yourself I'm not here to like put myself on you or on your book like I'm here to help you find yourself and your story and you are so good at asking the right questions and also yeah not being um prideful about your own ideas or like <laughs> insisting that you have the right yeah. ideas. Cause I would just say, well, go write your own yeah, books. No, then. no <laughs> I don't want to do that. It seems like a lot of work. <laughs> why would I, why would anyone want to do that? I don't know. Why are we doing this? Um, no, that's great. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm yeah. glad this is all like on the record. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Play it back for me. Remind me sometime. You yeah, love exactly. this, Caitlin. You, <laughs> said, you love this. Yep. Thank you so much for listening to story of the book if you like this episode please share it with a friend or give us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts until next time stay safe and keep writing bye, bye. <laughs>